You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Have you ever felt rich? I'll tell you about a few times that I felt rich in my life. Uh, I was a kid, and my mom gave me a dollar. I felt like I was the richest person in the planet, because I had a whole dollar in my hand, and it was mine. I gave our three-year-old daughter a quarter, and uh, she got excited. And then I said, wait, wait, wait. I gave her three more quarters, and her eyes lit up. She felt rich. I remember when I got my first paycheck at my first job. I was 16 years old at Boston Market, $132. I felt rich. I remember when I bought my wife's engagement ring. It was an expensive ring. I won't tell you how much it was, but it was a lot of money. And I had saved up for it. And I remember going uh, to the bank to withdraw that money from my savings account and walking into the jewelry store in the mall with all that cash. By the way, when you make a big purchase like that, you should always use cash because you're more likely to get a deal when you start waving around Benjamin Franklin. But I remember walking into the jewelry store in the mall and I felt so rich because I had all that cash in my pocket. Now, after I gave it to the salesperson, I felt poor. But before that, I felt rich with all that cash. Today, we're starting a brand new series called How to Be Rich. Now, it's not called How to Get Rich, but it's called How to Be Rich. And in this series, what I want to do is I want to teach you how to be rich because there are many people in this room who you're going to become rich. There's going to be a day when you cross over that imaginary line from not rich to rich. And when you become rich, I want to teach you how to be good at being rich. I don't want you to end up like David Lee Edwards. See, David Lee Edwards, he didn't know how to be rich. Edwards won the lottery uh, years ago, he won $41.5 million, and after taxes, he took home $27 million. Five years later, he was broke. See, when Edwards won the lottery, he bought a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, a Dodge Viper, and some other cars. His neighbors said that the $1.6 million mansion that he bought looked more like a car dealership than it did a house. He also bought a Learjet, some racehorses, and suits of armor, and it was said that he tipped waitstaff $10,000 at a time. In the first year that Edwards won the lottery, he spent $12 million. That's a million dollars a month. Five years later, he was found living in a storage unit. See, Edwards didn't know how to be rich. And I don't want you to be like him. I want to teach you today how to be rich. Now, if you're here for the first time or, or, or you're hearing about this series, How to Be Rich, maybe you're asking the question, wait, why are we talking about this? I mean, why are we talking about money in church? What does this have to do with Jesus? And if you're asking that question, I'm glad you asked. I want to answer it for you. The reason why we're doing this series, How to Be Rich, the reason why we're talking about money is because Jesus talked a lot about money. And the reason why Jesus talked so much about money is because he already knew what a 2014 Harris poll would find out, that 72% of Americans stress out about money. Last February, there was an ABC uh, news report that said that money is the top source of stress in our lives, beating out work, family responsibilities, and health concerns. The reason why we're talking about money today and the reason why Jesus talks so much about money is because you and I care about money because we don't stress out about things we don't care about. 
Jesus also talked so much about money because he knew that money was the number one competitor for our heart. That there's a competition going on uh, between God and money for our heart and one of them is gonna win out. This is what Jesus said. It's in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil. It doesn't say that, does it? I mean, it would make sense if it said it, though, right? You cannot serve both God and the devil. I mean, those seem like two opposites, and they're both battling for our heart. And who's going to win out, God or the devil? But Jesus says, no, no, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus realized that a bigger competitor than the devil for your heart is your money. And the reason why Jesus talks so much about money is because he knew that one was going to win out, either God or money. And he wanted to warn us. He wanted to let us know that God needs to be the one to win out. Now, when he says this, I just want to be clear. Jesus is not saying that money is bad because money isn't bad. Money is actually amoral. It's not good or bad. Uh, money is a lot like bricks and chairs and cars, right? Those things are amoral. They're not good or bad, but it's when it gets in the hands of a person that it can become good or bad. And so uh, you could take a brick and use it to build a hospital which heals people. Or you can take that same brick and you could throw it through a window and hurt somebody. You can take a chair and use it to rest and recuperate and relax in. Or you could take that same chair and smash somebody over the head with it and then powerbomb them on that chair. Both of which are awesome <laughs> if you're into wrestling. But, but it's when it gets in the hands of a person. A, a, a car. You could take a car and use that to transport people home after a party. Or somebody could get in that exact same car and turn it into a weapon by getting behind the wheel intoxicated. See, it, it, it's not about the brick or the chair or the car. It's not about money. Money isn't good or bad. Money is amoral. It's when it gets into the hands of a person that it can become good or bad. Also, the truth is this, that just because somebody has a lot of money or a little bit of money, it doesn't make them good or bad. We have to get out of this mindset where we villainize people or we canonize people because they have a lot of money or a little bit of money. And so if somebody has a lot of bricks or a little bit of bricks, it doesn't make them good or bad. If somebody has a lot of chairs or a little bit of chairs, it doesn't make them good or bad. If somebody has a lot of chairs or cars, we'll be jealous, but then we need to repent of that and celebrate with them. And if somebody has no cars, then that's okay. It doesn't make them good or bad. It's not about how much you have. So, sometimes we villainize people because they have a lot of money. Like, like there are some people who hate rich people, but those same people want to become rich people. Like if I gave you a million dollars, you wouldn't be so mad, right? You'd be happy about it. Because for some reason we equate, because somebody has a lot, then that makes them bad. No, money is amoral. Also, just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean that I should. Like, I'm not entitled to any of your bricks. You don't have to let me have any of your chairs. You don't have to let me ride in any of your cars. Because what you have in your possession is yours, and it's up to you to decide what to do with what you have. In the same way, what I have in my possession is mine, and it's up to me to decide what I have with, uh, it's up to me to decide what to do with what I have. See, Jesus, when he talks about money, he's not saying it's a bad thing. And in our society, we've come to, to equate people who have money as, as being bad and people who don't as, as being good, but, but this just isn't the case because money is amoral. It's not good or bad. What Jesus is getting at is not about how much you have or don't have. What he's getting at is more of a heart 
thing, more of an attitude thing. It's, it's about how you manage the money you have. It's, it's do you obsess over it? Because here's the thing. You could be dirt poor and still make money your master because that's the thing you chase after. So it's not a rich and a poor thing, but it's a heart thing. And Jesus said that you cannot serve two masters. Either you'll love the one and you'll hate the other, or you'll hate the one and you'll love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So as we do this series, How to Be Rich, I want to teach you today how to be rich because like I said, there are going to be some of you who cross over that imaginary line from not rich to rich. And when that happens, when you become rich, I want to teach you how to be good rich people. But in order for us to do that, in order for us to discover how to be rich, we first have to find out what is rich. What makes somebody rich? What is that imaginary line that we cross over from not rich to rich? Who is rich? Because here's the thing with rich people. Rich people don't know that they're rich, right? Or they deny that they're rich. Like nobody in this room is rich, right? But we all know people who are rich. Maybe, maybe you heard about Amanda Clayton. Um, Amanda Clayton won a million dollars in the Michigan lottery, but then she got into some legal trouble because she continued to collect welfare checks. Uh, in court, she explained to the judge that she wasn't in the wrong, even though she won a million dollars, because she, quote, still needed help. See, Amanda Clayton, she wasn't rich. I mean, she just won a million dollars, but she still needed help. If you're a sports fan or a history uh, nut, maybe you remember um, the NBA sports lockout in 1998-99, where players were arguing with owners about a salary cap. And the idea was that owners wanted to pay NBA players less. Now, they were still going to get paid in millions, but they were going to get paid less millions. And Patrick Ewing was famously quoted as saying, sure, we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money too. Like, for Patrick Ewing, it's, no, you don't understand. See, we're not rich because we got bills, we got expenses. Yeah, I know it seems like we make a lot of money, but we spend a lot of money too. See, nobody's rich. Nobody's rich. But we all know people who are rich. And so the question that we have to figure out is, what is rich? Who is rich? Where is this imaginary line that we cross over from not rich to rich? And so I want to give you some behaviors and tendencies of rich people. Uh, Now, Andy Stanley says that rich people upgrade. This is what rich people do. They upgrade. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just this is what rich people do. And so a rich person will do this. Uh, A rich person will take a perfectly good car that drives, and they will drive it to the dealer, and they will park the car at the dealer. They will then give that dealer a sum of money so they can drive off with a new car. Rich people. Like they'll take a perfectly good car, one that works, drive it to the dealer, leave it there, give the dealer some money so they can drive off with another car. Nothing wrong with that, just rich people. Rich people do this. Many rich people live in a house, but some rich people, not only do they live in a house, but connected to their house is a house for their car. Like, they have a house for their car. Some rich people, not only do they live in a house and they have a house for their car, some rich people have a house for two cars. And, and, then, and then there's a whole nother level. Some rich people, not only do they live in a house, not only do they have a house for their car, but they have a house for their boat. Right? Like, like rich people, this is nothing wrong with that. This is just what rich people do. Rich people upgrade. Rich people will do this. Rich people will have a kitchen that has perfectly good cabinets, a stove that works, 
a refrigerator that works, and a microwave that works. And rich people will go into that kitchen and tear out those cabinets, take out that stove, take out that refrigerator, take out that microwave, and then they'll put it all back in but new. Rich people will put in new cabinets, new stove, new refrigerator, they upgrade. Nothing wrong with that. It's just rich people. Rich people, rich people will go to the mall where they will stand outside of a store that has a piece of fruit with a bite taken out of it. And then they'll take out their phone and they'll begin to text and tweet and take pictures and call people and tell them about how they're standing in line using their working phone and how they're going to trade their working phone in for the S version. Right? Rich people, I mean, again, nothing's wrong with that. This is just rich people. Here, rich people do this. Rich people will stand in front of a closet with clothes hanging up and clothes folded. They'll stand in front of that closet and they'll say this, I don't have anything. Can you finish it? You know these people. You've met some of these rich people. They will stand in front of a closet and say, I have nothing to wear. They even, rich people even do this with food. They will stand in front of an open refrigerator filled with food and they will say, there's nothing. Can you finish it? You know them. Yes. Rich people will stand in front of an open refrigerator filled with food and say, there's nothing to eat. Now, before you start to think that rich people have it easy, they don't, okay? Because rich people, when it comes to food, still have to gather their food. Now, there are some really rich people who have their food delivered to them, but for the most part, most rich people have to go gather their food. Now, sure, they don't have to hunt it or kill it or raise it or grow it or anything like that, but they have to go to Walmart, right? And, I mean, if you've ever been to Walmart, you know the struggle is real. <laughs> and so they, but, so they got to go gather their food. But, but then, so that's rich people. But then there's another level of rich people who they, they don't go to Walmart. They gather their food at Harris Teeter and Kroger, right? <laughs> Whole nother level. But then there's the richest of the rich, Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so they don't have it easy. They still have to gather their food, right? But, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. This is just rich people. This is what, what rich people do. Some rich people will even go to a place where they will pay somebody to cook their food for them. And then somebody else will take that food on a plate and bring it out to them and serve them. And they'll even wait on them, occasionally filling their water glass. Rich people, rich people, rich people go to a place and are waited on by somebody else. Here, I'll give you one more, one more, one more. Rich people have extra. Rich people have extra. Like, rich people have this problem where they look around and they say, I have extra. I have too much. Uh, my house is cluttered. Let me gather all these things that I have and that I don't need anymore, this extra, and I'll sell it to make more money. Rich people. Nothing wrong with that. It's just rich people. R rich people, sometimes they're like, I don't even want to make money. I'll just give it away. I have my extra and I'll just give it away. I'll put it in trash. Rich people put their extra in trash bags. In trash bags. We put our stuff in trash bags. Rich people store money in trash cans. You have any uh, coins in the uh, ashtray of your car? 
Rich people store money in trash cans. Some rich people say, I have so much extra, and I can't bear to part with it. And so what they'll do collectively in America is they'll spend $32.7 billion, with a B, dollars, to store their extra in a storage unit. I have so much extra, I'm going to pay to have somebody else hold on to it for me. Again, nothing's wrong with any of this. This is all fine. This is all good. But this is just rich people. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You reading what I'm writing? You hitting what I'm pitching? You smelling what I'm cooking? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page, okay? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I I want to show you a a website that will help you out. It's called globalrichlist.com. The way this works is if you enter in your annual income, uh, it'll give you some calculations. And so... If you go to the site and you enter in your annual income, let's say that you make $44,000 a year. And so when you type that in, you'll find that you're in the top 0.44% of wage earners in the world. You're in the top 1%. If you make half that, $22,000, you're in the top 3% of wage earners in the world. If you scroll down, you'll see that what you make in an hour, $22.92, is what the average Indonesian worker makes. The, uh, they make 39 cents. What, it, what you make in one year, it would take the average Indonesian worker 59 years to make. As you continue to scroll down, you'll see that if you wanted a can of Coke, it would take you two minutes to earn enough money to get that can of Coke. The same Indonesian worker making 39 cents an hour, it would take them two hours of work. Also, your monthly salary could fund 270 doctors in Malawi for the month. You feeling a little richer? Here's the thing. Most of us in this room are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. You're rich. Okay, nobody celebrated. Um, <laughs> like, like when, when you find out this information, it's not, we, do, we don't respond. It's not like, oh my gosh, I'm rich, yes! Because if you hit the lottery, you'd freak out. You'd go crazy. But you just found out many of you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Almost all of us are in the top 3% of wage earners in the world. You are rich. You have just crossed over that line from not rich to rich. Congratulations. But we don't celebrate because we don't, we don't feel rich. Like I know that's nice and all that, but, but we don't feel rich. So what I want to do throughout this series is I want to teach you how to be rich. I want to teach you how to feel rich because the truth is, each and every one of us in this room, we are rich. And I want to teach you today how to feel that way and how to be that way. Um, So I want to give you the point that's going to really lay the foundation for the rest of this series. So if you're taking notes, if you would go ahead and write this down. Uh, This is is the, the way to be rich. This is the key. If we're going to be rich, because we all are rich, if we're going to learn to be rich and be good rich people, if we're going to feel rich, here's what we got to do. We have to think like rich people think. I know it wasn't that profound, but you can humor me by writing it down. Uh, we have to think like rich people think. If we're going to be rich, then we have to think like rich people think. And so how do rich people think? Here's how rich people think. Rich people see money as a tool. 
They see money as a tool. They see it as a means to an end. Rich people don't see money as an end in and of itself, but they see it as a tool to help them accomplish something. And because rich people see money as a tool, see, poor people say, if I could just get more money. For poor people, it's just, if I could get more money. Money is the end. That's the goal. But rich people see it as a tool to help them accomplish something. Because they see it as a tool, they manage their money better. Because rich people see money as a tool, they manage it better. Good rich people do this. And the reason why they manage their money better is because they realize that their money is a tool to help them accomplish what they want to accomplish in the future. And so there's this chain. Rich people see money as a tool, so they manage it well to help them accomplish what they want to accomplish in the future. If you were to hire a good financial advisor, that financial advisor would tell you, um, would try to help you see 40 years into the future when it comes to your money. They, they would try to help you look ahead to where you're going and to invest what you have and to see your money as a tool so that you manage it better so that you could see 40 years in the future. And this is actually a biblical way of thinking. Uh, in Proverbs 21:20, it says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The truth is, for many of us in this room, you're going to have $2.5 million pass through your hands in your lifetime. And the question is, at the end of your life, are you going to have anything to show for it? Or are you going to be the kind of person who gulps down everything you have, you live paycheck to paycheck, and at the end you have nothing left to show for it? If we're going to be rich, if we're going to feel rich, then we've got to think like rich people think. And rich people think 40 years ahead. But if we're going to be good, rich people in the kingdom of God, then we need to expand our vision to beyond just 40 years. We need to expand our vision to eternity. If we're going to be good, rich people in the kingdom of God, then we need to expand our thinking to eternity. This is how Jesus viewed money. He saw it as a tool that made an impact in eternity. In Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus' understanding of money is that it's a tool to be used for an eternal gain. This is how Jesus viewed money. Again, Jesus is not saying money is bad. He's also not even teaching us that we shouldn't have anything here on earth because what we see in Proverbs 21, uh, 20 is that the wise in the storehouses of the wise are choice food and olive oil. And so get yourself a nice bank account. Uh, according to the scriptures, it's okay to have stuff and I'm going to show you that in a minute. So get yourself a nice bank account. Get a big savings account. Get yourself some cars. Have a house. Have some rental property. Get a boat. Get an airplane. Go out the roof Chris every once in a while. Go on vacation. Do your thing. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But Jesus says you got to have a greater perspective. That, that it's not just about here and now, but there's also eternity to think about. See, for many of us, the reason why we don't feel rich, the reason why we aren't good rich people at times with the things that God has blessed us with is because we have this, this narrow perspective on what it's all about. We see it as building our own kingdom as opposed to building the kingdom of God. Because here's what Jesus concludes with. He says, for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your money goes, 
your heart follows. Wherever your money goes, your heart follows. See, many of us, we, we think it's the opposite way around. We think um, that wherever my heart goes, then my money will follow. But that's not true. We see it all the time in life, right? Like you have all sorts of things that you care about, but you don't always give money to those things. Because our money doesn't follow our heart. Instead, Jesus says that wherever your money goes, your heart follows your money. I mean, just think about it. There, there are parents who have the desire and the wish to send their kid to college and to pay for that college, but they don't have the money to pay for the tuition. They, they have a great desire, their heart, but their money doesn't follow that because they hadn't been saving up for it. They hadn't been planning ahead or they spent their money on something else that at the time they cared about more. See, our money doesn't always follow our heart. The 16-year-old kid who wants to get a nice car, uh, his heart and his desire is to get that nice car, but his money doesn't follow it because he uses grass-cutting money on hanging out with his friends. He, he spent it somewhere else. And so even though his heart goes to the car, his money doesn't accompany it. Jesus said, wherever your money goes, your heart follows. And what he teaches us is this. If you want for your heart to be invested in the kingdom of God, if you want your heart to be invested in things that are eternal, in things that matter, then put your money there. Because we care about where we put our money. We care about the things we invest in. And so how do we do that? How do we invest in eternity? How, how do we invest in the kingdom of God so that uh, our money and our life have a greater impact than just here and now? I'll give you two ways for us to invest in the kingdom of God. The first way is this. If you've never made the decision to deposit your life into the hands of God, this is the most important thing that you can do today. Because you can do everything else that I'm going to teach you today and in the rest of this series uh, and it won't matter if you don't do this. The, the way that we invest into eternity, into the kingdom of God, is by depositing our life into the hands of God. The scriptures teach us about our identity. In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that you and I were created in the image of God. That means that you and I, we were created good. And so I don't know what you think about yourself, I don't know how you view yourself, but the truth is you were created good. God created you as his son. God created you as his daughter and you're in relationship with him. This is why God created you, for you to be in relationship with him. But the truth is, throughout our lives, there have been times where we've rebelled against God, where we've said no to God. And what it says in Romans 6.23 is that the wages of sin is death. That because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because we've said no to God, what we earn, because that's a wage, a wage is something you earn, what we earn because of our sin, what we deserve because of our sin is death. Now, death is separation. It's separation of life from the body. And in a spiritual sense, um, it's, it's us being separated from God. And so because of our sin, we're separated from God. We all have a sin debt. But thank God the Apostle Paul, when he wrote Romans 6, 23, didn't stop there. The wages of sin is death. He continued on and he said this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. What you and I earn, what we deserve because of our sin, is separation from God. But God said, I'm going to give you a gift that's going to pay for your sin so that you could be restored back to me. And that gift is my son, Jesus. See, when Jesus came to this world, it was God in the flesh. And he took your sin and my sin on himself. And when Jesus went to that cross, he died the death that we deserve. 
He took your sin, my sin. He took our debt. He nailed it to the cross and he paid it. He wiped it out. He stamped paid in full with my blood. Jesus took your sin and what you deserve is death. He took it on the cross and wiped it out so that you could be forgiven. And he's given you this gift of forgiveness. If you've never made the decision to accept the gift of God by believing in Jesus, believing that he died for you and that he rose again from the dead, by following him, by saying, Jesus, I want to make you the leader of my life. I've been going my own way and it's gotten me to where I am and I don't like this, but I want to follow you. But by following him and by being immersed into him, being baptized into him, then I want to give you that opportunity today. Because this is how we accept the grace and the gift of God, the gift of eternal life, by believing, following, and being immersed into Jesus. It's like, it's like God has said, I've paid for your sin debt. I've paid for everything that separates you from me. And what you gotta do to meet me there is to believe, to follow, to be immersed into me. That's how you accept the gift I've given you. It's like if I said to you, I have a check that's gonna pay off your house. But in order for you to receive that check, I need you to meet me at this place at this time. You do whatever you could to meet me there. Because the check is already filled out. The check already has your name on it. But in order for you to accept it, you got to meet me where I've called you to meet me and receive it. God says, I've already forgiven you. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took your sin on the cross. Every sin you've ever done in your life, past, present, and future, he took it on the cross. And when Jesus died, he forgave you. Many of you today, you, everyone in here, you're already forgiven. You've been given the gift of life already. But for so many of you, that's a check that has not been cast yet. You haven't claimed that as yours. You haven't met God where he calls you to meet him by believing in him, following, and being immersed into him. Maybe for some of you, you, you believe for a long time, you're even trying to follow him, but you've never been immersed into him. God says, when you meet me in the waters of baptism, that's when I'll wash away your sins and my Holy Spirit will come live inside of you. For some of you, maybe you got baptized as a baby and that was your parents putting like a down payment on you, like this is what we want for our kid. But you gotta make that decision. You gotta make the decision to believe, to follow, and to be immersed into him. When we do that, the gift of God is applied to our life, and we're depositing our life into the hands of God. So the first way that we invest in eternity, that we invest in the kingdom of God, is by depositing our life into the hands of God. Again, if you've never done that, I want to give you that chance today. When you came in, you received a program, and at the bottom of your program, there's a connect card. At the bottom of that connect card, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ and be baptized. If that's you today, if you've never said yes to Jesus, would you mark that box and take it to the black tables? Take it to the table that says, I have decided. We got some people there who would love to talk with you about that decision and talk with you about what it means to accept Jesus and be baptized into him. Because if you do everything else that I'm going to teach you, if you begin to lay up these treasures in heaven like, like what Jesus talks about, but you're not there to enjoy them, then it's pointless. Then it's pointless. The number one thing you can do is to deposit your life in the hands of God. Say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And I need to be immersed into you. So this is, this is the first way for many of us. There's a decision facing us. It's the most important decision you ever make in your life. By investing in eternity, we lay our hands into, or we lay our life into the hands of God.
Um, here's the second thing I want to show you. And this is, this is what the Apostle Paul teaches his protege Timothy, who's the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Uh, it's found in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, earlier I spent so much time getting us past the line of not rich to rich. I wanted to let us know and remind us that we're rich because I knew that I was going to read this passage. And if I read this passage and Paul's saying, command those who are rich, many of us, if we didn't understand that we're already rich, would be like, well, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. Here's what Paul is saying. Timothy, I want you to tell those people at the rising in 2016, all those rich people, here's what, here's what I want you to tell them. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, he says, I want you to tell them not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God, to deposit their life in the God of the universe who came to save them. That's the first and foremost thing I need you to tell them. But, but, but here's what I want you to tell them too. Put their hope in God who richly provides them with everything. And so you should feel bad about everything you have. No, because God gave it to you. So you should be jealous about what other people have. No, because God gave it to them. So you should feel guilty about what you have. No, because God gave it to you. So you should boast and brag and be arrogant about it. No, because it was a gift that was given by God. Paul says everything you and I have was given by God. It was a gift. And so you don't need to feel bad for what you have. Sometimes people feel guilty about what they have. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty because God gave it to you as a gift. Sometimes people feel jealous because somebody else has more than they do. Don't be jealous. God entrusted that person with what they have and God entrusted you with what you have. So be diligent with what you have and then God will entrust you with more. That's how that works. It's all a gift and it's all been given by God. And then he says this, tell them, not to put their hope uh, in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides uh, everything they have. And he says, for their enjoyment. For their enjoyment. Like, you should enjoy what you have. It, there's nothing wrong with enjoying what you have. Like, also, you shouldn't be stressed out about what you have. It shouldn't be the case that you have more money and more problems. You shouldn't be stressed out about this. You should enjoy what you have. Many of us, we can't enjoy. Like for some of us, finances is a nightmare because we don't know how to handle it. And if that's you, we, we offer a group called Financial Peace University. We want to teach you how to, how to handle that because God has given you what you have for your enjoyment. Couples, stop fighting over money. It's one of the biggest fights couples have is over money. Don't you know that God gave it to you for your enjoyment? Get on the same page. Work as a team. God gave it to you for your enjoyment, not to split your marriage apart. Everything you have has been given by God for your enjoyment. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I want you to enjoy what you have. Notice that it's a gift from God for you to enjoy, but I don't want you to stop there. I want you to go on. I want you to tell these rich people this, verse 18, and this is for all of us. Command those rich people to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So God gave you what you have for your enjoyment, but he also gave you what you have so that you could do good, so you could be rich in good deeds. And then he says, and I want you to be generous and willing to share with others. God gave you everything you have so that you could do more and give more. That's why God entrusted you with what you have, so you could enjoy it 
and so you could do more, and so you could give more. He wants to help you expand your perspective from just your kingdom building to building his kingdom. He gave you everything you have so you could do more and give more. And he explains what happens when we do that, when we live this way. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If we're going to be rich, and we're going to be good rich people, and we're going to lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven, then it means that we take what God has given us and we do more with it and we give more. And here's, here's why I want to be rich. Because I want my life to matter beyond just my life. I want my life to matter in eternity. I want my life to impact other people so it transforms their eternity. This is why I want to be rich, because I don't want to just look back on my life and say, look at the kingdom I built, but I want to look back and say, look at how I helped God's kingdom advance. That's why I want to be rich, so that more and more people who don't know Jesus can come to know Jesus so that they'll be in heaven with me. That's why I want to know how to be rich. That's why I want to do more. That's why I want to give more, not just for me, but for others. I want my life to matter. I want it to mean something. That's why I want to be rich. And Paul says, when you do this, they'll take hold of the life that is truly life. We're a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. If you're going to experience true life, then it's learning how to be rich by doing more and by giving more. So I just want to encourage you today. If you're not serving anywhere, would you start serving? Because God made you rich so you could do more. He gave you what you have so you could do more and so you could serve other people. If you're not serving, would you stop by the orange table, sign up to serve? Let's change some people's lives next week. How about that? Let's just make a difference in people's lives. That's why, that's why. I want you to enjoy what you have. I want you to have fun with it. But, 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 but command those rich people to do more. Tell them do more. That's why God gave them what they have. And then tell them to give more. You know, God gave his one and only son so that we could have life, so that we could be forgiven. And here's what we often do is we trust God with our souls, but we won't trust him with our finances. Maybe for some of you, it's just been this hurdle to get past. Like God calls us, if we've experienced his grace, if we're Christians, God calls us to return the tithe back to him. That's the first 10% of our income. And really, you have two options when it comes to the tithe. You can either return it back to God or you can steal it because God says it's mine. I've given you everything you have, and so I want you to return the tithe back to me. Paul says, I want you to command those rich people to do more and to give more. I know it's scary. Uh, I know it's, it's uh, filled with anxiety, uh, but if you've never made that step to trust God with the tithe, to return the first 10% of your income back to him, I want to encourage you to try it. Give it a shot. Sometime this month, say, God, I'm making that leap. Here's the first 10% of what you gave me. I'm going to trust you and keep doing it. Maybe for some of you, you've been tithing for a long time. You've been given 10% for, for a long time. And I'm not saying this because the church needs your money. I'm saying this because I want you to experience the blessing of God in your life. That's why I'm saying this. Maybe for some of you, you've been returning the tithe for a long time. But Paul said, command those who are rich to do more and to give more. I want to encourage you, if you've been returning the tithe, would you break into the realm of generosity by bringing an offering? 
that's an extra percentage maybe. Maybe you say this year, I'm going to increase my giving from 10% to 11%. Paul said, God gave us what we have so that we could do more and give more. I could line this stage with people who could tell stories about how they were hesitant, how they didn't know about returning the tithe back to God. But when they started, when they placed their faith in God in that way, they saw all sorts of breakthroughs in their finances. Now, I'm not guaranteeing you that if you give $10, God's going to give you $100. It doesn't work that way. But God does say, if you test me in this, see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't know what to do with it. Paul said, command those rich people, which is all of us, to do more and to give more. In this way, they will store up for themselves treasures in heaven, and then they'll take hold of the life that is truly life. If you want to invest in eternity, deposit your life in the hands of God, but then also do more, give more. I want to be very clear, though, as I say this, because this can be dangerous. We don't do more and give more to get God's love. God has already given you his love. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love, to make him love you any more or any less. He's already given you his love as a free gift. We don't do this to earn God's love. We do this because we've already experienced God's love. God's love is flowing in our life. And because of that, in response to that, God, I want to do more for you. I want to give more to you because of what you've done in my life. So we don't do this um, to earn God's love. You can, you can have a seat. Um, in a moment, no, you can have a seat. Don't pass that. <laughs> in a moment, we're going to um, observe communion where we're going to have people from our VIP team come down and they're going to pass out trays with stacks of cups. Those stacks of cups, the bottom cup has a piece of bread that represents Jesus' body. The top cup has some juice that represents his blood. And um, as those trays get passed during this next song, feel free to take part of communion anytime. Uh, but we observe communion on a weekly basis to remind ourselves that we already have God's love. That he gave his son to die for us so we could have life. So feel free to take that at any time during this next song. You remember when I started off with the story about my daughter? and how um, I gave her a quarter, she got excited, then I gave her three more quarters, and her face lit up, she felt rich. I wanna tell you what happened. I gave her a quarter, she got excited, she took it, she smiled at me, a big smile, and she said, thank you, Daddy, she gave me a big hug. Then she showed her mom, she said, look, a quarter. And then I saw how grateful she was. And I said, honey, wait, 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 wait. Here's three more quarters. Her face lit up. She gave me a big hug. She said, thank you so much, daddy. She showed her mom. Now my daughter realizes that quarters equal candy. So the more quarters she has, the more candy she can get. But here's what she did. When I gave her those four quarters, she took one of them and gave, them back, gave it back to me. She said, for you, Daddy. Deuteronomy 8.18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. She showed gratitude. 
Deuteronomy 8.10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Like I said, she gave one back to her daddy. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. She gave a quarter to her mom. She said, for you, mommy. She held up another quarter. She said, this one is for God. And then she took her last quarter and put it in her piggy bank. Because that's where she goes to get her candy money. She gave one back to her mommy. Philippians 2.4 Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, my daughter was rich. It's not about how much money you have. It's your attitude. It's how you see it. It's what you do with what God has entrusted you to you. My daughter was rich, and she knew it. I want to let you know this morning that you're rich. I want to encourage you to be rich so that you can act rich. Rich toward God, rich toward others, and even rich to yourself, taking hold of a life that is truly life. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If we're going to be rich, we have to expand our perspective beyond just 40 years into eternity how are you living for eternity today next week I want to give you some practical ways to do this next week is going to help you out it's going to teach you a lot you're not going to want to miss it but this week I want to ask you two questions what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it what is God saying to you and what are you going to do about it because you're rich Let's be rich. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your love. I love it that you give it to us as a free gift. We don't have to earn it, and we've done nothing to deserve it. But you freely give us your love. God, would you remind us that everything we have comes from you? That you're the provider of it all. Remind us that you gave it to us for our enjoyment. Let us have fun with it. But God, let us also look beyond ourselves so that we do more and give more with what you provided. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, Sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.